Frazzled Women. Welcome to La Vital Core Salon, the virtual lounge for frazzled type A's, imposters, and activity addicts. I'm your host and salonier, Kara Martin-Snyder. And like every episode, but especially this one, this podcast features adult women having adult conversation. There are some F-bombs. And if that's something that you don't want people around you to hear, headphones are a great thing. And as you all know, or for new listeners, each episode, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman leaving their unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. And today's guest is Lauren Falk, who dials in from Mexico City to share her perspective from all of her years' experience of sort of moving around the world and being this really cool third culture kid and also becoming the owner of Latin Language Link and the general coordinator for, and Senorita Miller, I I do apologize, my Spanish is not what it used to be, who's the general coordinator of Rizos, let me try it again, Rizos de Amor y Alegría. I don't know if Senorita Miller would be down with that. My years of Spanish are years away at this point, so hopefully I didn't mangle the name too bad. But we talk about so many things. A lot of Lauren shares is about how a major health scare, it sounds like radically shifted her life and how she thought about her career. And, you know, we sort of move along. And Lauren said something as I was interviewing her that really stuck out about humans are made of pure experiences. And Lauren is definitely someone wealthy in life experience and so willing to share and I'm, I'm grateful to have her for a guest and instead of me just babbling on about her let's just cut over to the interview hey lauren welcome to the vital core salon hi kara how are you good good i'm so happy you're here Thank you. I'm so excited to be here after finally weeks and weeks of of talking and getting this set up. I'm very excited to be here with you Well, and your listeners today. Awesome. Awesome. I think there's going to be so much that people can learn from you. But maybe we can start by having you give people a little bit of context. So right now, you're the owner of Latin Language Link. And I want to apologize because my Spanish is (laughs) at a... 12th grade level and that was many years ago many years ago <laughs> and you're also the general coordinator at Rizos de Amor y Alegría did I get very that right good. yes <laughs> Rizos de Amor y Alegría very good it's like a natural Kara <laughs> I don't know about that Senorita Miller is probably <laughs> frowning somewhere <laughs> but what does each role look like for you these days well, um, as the owner of Latin Language Link, this is kind of a um, a project that I've been building up over the last few years, actually, since I've lived here in uh, Mexico City. And um, m- my passion has been education for, I mean, since I think before I even, you know, went off to college and I kind of knew what I wanted to study from years back before maybe even middle school area. And I had a particular English teacher with which who knows, maybe she is listening, Mrs. Tripoli. I remember in Colorado Springs, um, who was a huge inspiration um, to me at the time and throughout the years and really pushed me to want to study to be an educator. 
Um, and so because education is my passion in general, um, in Latin Language Link, we um, make or give classes that are from natives, from both French um, native speakers and from English native speakers, obviously educators as well. And we give classes to executives. So everyone who is in their office and saying, you know what, I need to brush up on things for business meetings, or I need to be able to have better conversations when I go to dinner with uh, the boss that's coming from the United States or coworkers or things like that. So we focus particularly on business classes for um, each and every one of those uh, types of students, basically students that are not typical classroom students. We do one-on-one with all of them and just get them to where they want or need to be um, business-wise in that area. So I started the whole company and then managed the teachers who um, are involved in it and give classes. I have to do the scheduling, uh, just about every detail that that flows down there from that uh, from the actual giving classes in, in the offices to um, every other de- detail that can can come about. So at least in, that's that's the business part. That's what I do, as we say, to make a living, which is a funny phrase in itself, because in Spanish, that that phrase doesn't even exist. But um that's that's what I do on a on a day to day basis. That's what takes up most of my time, and I can see how that takes up a ton of your time because it sounds like yeah. <laughs> not only are you doing the teaching component and the education component, but you've built the school essentially around that. Exactly, and truth be told, I when a lot of people say, "Well, what are you? What do you do?" My first thing is not to. I love when people say that, and and you give like this extravagant. Oh, she does this, and this is her title. A lot of times, even in Spanish, people say they use their title like their college degree title. Unless we're a doctor in the United States, we don't use it as much. But here, they use it for everything. And funny enough, for me, I'm just like, you know what? I just love to give classes. I really love to teach. <laughs> so I'm the owner of this. I built it up. It took me about a good year to build up my website to get together the teachers that would be helping and and all of these things at the same time while working at a different company that did something uh, similar. But I really just love to teach. I could never just do the administrative part and then step out of the classroom or uh, office in this case, I guess, how how we give one-on-one classes. But I would be totally lost if I didn't give classes myself. So uh, that's really what I love to do. Amazing. And I have to laugh where you're, you've boiled down your introduction to people to, I love to teach. And I always laugh because when people ask me what I do, like if I'm out like at a show or if I'm sitting at a restaurant or I'm at a networking group, depending on how, how loose it is, right? Like I I wouldn't pull this in a Catholic church hall or anything. But when people ask me what I do, I'm like, I help frazzle type A women get their shit together. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's like that, that's it doesn't it doesn't yes. need to be so complicated like I'm a coach yeah, I mean, and I'm a strategist and I have a yes, podcast I, like exactly I almost want to sit back and even with a master's and things I'm like I don't like putting because it's very common here in Mexico City well in Mexico and in the Latin community in general for you to it's very it's it comes with a lot of pride, I guess you could say, in a good way, not in a bad way. But, um, you know, if you graduate with your bachelor's, it's like they, they you know, write on, sign things off as, I have a bachelor's in this, or uh, the bachelor so-and-so, or the, you know, master's of whatever. And to me, I'm totally, they're like, so are you a master's? I'm like, you know what, but when you say that, I don't know if I feel up to exactly the titles <laughs> that I studied for. I just really like to, and I even say that to my students. I mean, I, I give classes to people who are presidents of companies, who are big directors, sales directors for, for companies that are even directly from the United States here all over the entire country of Mexico. But when they're like, and this is my professor. So, and I just feel so much like 
yeah, I just like to teach. <laughs> that's the truth behind it. I really like to teach. I studied a lot, and but I really like to teach. So that's that's the true passion. Of, well, one of the true passions of mine. And I was going to say, and you have another passion of yours that takes up yes. a good amount of your time. Yes, and this is another one of those things. Like, do I put a title on the front of it, or I do it when I have to give out cards and things, obviously. But um, I really, one of my passions is teaching, which I guess it kind of falls into the same category. But I love social work and all of its shapes and forms, um, and uh, volunteer work specifically. And it kind of flows out. I hope, I hope it flows out in everything that I do. That's my my prayer every day, I guess you could say. Um, but I am the technically, I guess, the uh, general coordinator for. Uh, um, the biggest association in Mexico um, for kind of the equivalent of locks of love in the United States, which is in Spanish, Rizos de Amor y Alegría. And that's one of those things, like, again, it's not what I make a living from, I guess you could say, if I'm putting air quotes around it. But for Rizos, I coordinate, uh, basically, we receive hair donations. Uh, we have an open campaign all year long. And we receive hair donations to make... Uh, wigs for children who need it, whether it's from alopecia, whether it's from their chemo, you know, chemotherapy, things that cause them to have some type of hair loss and need a wig for. So that started as somewhat of a small project, which we'll see along the way, I guess, through through the podcast, but has grown into something that every waking moment that I have extra time to do things, it's emails or organize ev events or getting together the volunteer group or working on uh, fundraising, just all of those things that started in a, on a very low level <laughs> and then rapidly grew to what takes up my weekends and many other, other things as, as I uh, do my m main job, I guess you could say, during the day. But um, the resource definitely takes over the rest of my life for every, every other detail. Wow, Lauren, that's amazing. And for people listening, Lauren and I, this is the first time that we get to talk. I mean, we've we've swapped some emails and trying to coordinate for the interview. But we met through Facebook. God bless you. And it was <laughs> in a... amazing? It really is. Like, how did I find you, you, you wonderful <laughs> redhead down in Mexico City? And it, you know, we were introduced by our, our common friend, Kat Joseph Harvey. And I think what stuck out to me is she was mentioning the the work that you did for for Rizos and and how you even go about presenting the locks and it right. sounds like you just there was just an energy just seeing the little bits of our conversation online and then you know cat really dialing up like she's amazing you should connect <laughs> Kat, that's why i told her i was like cat you stop because you're amazing too and i know she's probably <laughs> going to be listening to this later but funny enough cat and i haven't seen each other i mean she was my french teacher in high school so and i have to be very honest cat i am embarrassed to say my french is terrible i mean <laughs> i try with my native French teachers in my company. But let me just tell you, my Spanish is so much better. So I got a second language. I just didn't hang on to the French. I loved her classes. She, um, Kat is an amazing person all on her own, but she has little things that I'll probably mention along the way that um, she probably doesn't even remember, but kind of got stuck in my mind about things about inspiration and things along the way. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how we got connected because Kat originally um, I want to say maybe last year, maybe this is like the third year, but along the lines of social work, I, I love to put it into everything that I do when possible. Like I just, 
And not because, and I, I kind of actually am not at the beginning when I started doing it years ago, helping others in random things. I didn't like like the posting on Facebook thing. I didn't like doing it through specifically the foundation of Rizos. Uh, not because I was ashamed of what I was doing, but I like it to just be, I want this to just be me. I don't want it to be like, hey, look what I'm doing kind of a thing because it really is what makes me um, happy. Like there's a happy, like, oh, I'm excited, but this is like a real, true, deep happiness that that it gives me. And um, I love investing in people. I really, really do. So she got kind of connected in the sense that um, a few years ago, ago through their Facebook um, she, every year for my birthday, I have this thing where, um, since I was probably 18 or so I've done it and I take the year that I'm, whatever is the next year that I'm, you know, turning whatever age, 19, 20. And I find kind of make it a little project that through the week of my birthday or around my birthday, I'd like to give gifts to other people, whether it be people in need who need, you know, some type of like a food bank or box of whatever they may need for their home or um, kids who didn't get toys for Christmas, things like that. And um, so every year I started to kind of make it a thing and it started kind of with my family and, and really close friends and saying, hey, instead of giving me a birthday present, why don't you donate towards this? And then it turned into kind of something on Facebook and Kat was like, I totally want to help for that. So um, <laughs> she gave tour. I know it's crazy. The world is so small yet at the same time. Um, she, she gave towards it and family members continue to give towards it. And it, it actually turned into a thing this year with my business, um, the last like week before my birthday, when people, I do a lot of, you know, translation jobs and on the side of actually doing the, the classes and things and running that I do translation, live translation in meetings, in auditoriums, whatever it may be. And uh, a lot of the jobs beforehand, I say, you know what, I'm not going to charge you this time, this time, just, you know, donate directly towards the cause. And it's incredible how much people give, like they're totally into it, which is awesome, which is my favorite part of it is other people like get excited about it, which is what I love. That's amazing, Lauren. That is absolutely <laughs> amazing. amazing. The people are amazing. I just, I just like to be kind of the channel for it. And I love to be, I love to make it something contagious, which is a video that I put on Facebook um, this year, because it makes me excited. Facebook Live has been the most amazing thing this year because it's so awesome to stop like literally on the side of the road, connect live on my Facebook and then have everyone who who donated or didn't donate or, you know, just love seeing little kids' face light up when they didn't have a present this year and they literally live, you know, practically on the streets. And uh, people get excited about it. So from it being so far away from people who I grew up with, you know, in Louisiana, uh, all the way to people who I, you know, work with now, I have students who say, hey, I know you're doing like a toy drive. I want to give you a bag of toys for you to take with you. So it's been really, really cool to see how people respond to it. And how much that kind of contagion fills everyone up, right? Like, not only exactly. are you energized, you've made somebody's day. Everyone watching, like, I have to tell you, Lauren, I'm going to be the first to admit, like, I think people think I'm a real ball buster when the, the really? fact of the matter is that I am a giant smush. So as I was stalking some of your <laughs> videos on your Facebook page and trying to figure out what to ask <laughs> you or what we could talk about today or what everyone could learn from you today, there were several moments where I was checking out the work of resource, I was checking out your work and sobbing here at my desk, like in oh. all the best possible ways. So Oh, see, that's what I'm trying to do is make you cry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, you're, it's totally true. Because I, I take something up that my dad, um, I don't know if he actually said this in words, but I always felt this, you know, when they say, 
people may not remember what you say, but they definitely will, definitely will remember what you do. I, I always felt that I learned from him the idea of invest in people. Like, n- that's the most rewarding thing that you can do, whether it's a person that you're going to be in a relationship for a long period of time in a friendship or, or a family member or whatever it may be, or someone you literally see at the coffee shop or, you know, at the supermarket, just invest in people, you, your ability and your power, I guess you could say to a certain extent to make someone else's day or feel just good in general is your, our, our power to do that is so much greater than we, we think that we have or we own. Like I did not fix, obviously, all of the children in Mexico, their lives because I gave them gifts. But that power that you that we have as human beings just in general to opt for making someone stay a little bit better in any way that we, we can is so it, that in itself is empowering and it's contagious. I feel like it's contagious. I hope it's contagious for, for everybody else who, who gets to see it. I think it is. I, I mean, look at just the proliferation of of sites. Oh God, I'm blanking on the name, but it was it was the website that was just started around just buying someone else a cup of coffee, right? Like paying oh, right, that cup right. of coffee it's like forward. The pay it forward. Right, yeah, right. yeah. Just the proliferation of things like that, and and how much we need that, especially in deeply uncertain times right now. Right. Exactly. And I just think the idea of again we. I don't think we realize that the power that we have in that equally as much as we have the power to, you know, do something evil to a certain extent, you know, and make someone feel terrible or have a bad reaction towards something that we shouldn't or or whatever it may be. But the power that we really have to, and I, I have to be honest with you, when I see other people excited about something else that's good happening in the world, I get excited about it. So just to make it contagious and to let people know you really do have that power, big or small, to whatever extent it is, that's what the world is made of. Something big and great is made up by small things. So I, I I know it sounds very cliche and like something that should go on, you know, a t-shirt or something, but it's really, truly what makes me feel really happy. It's what inspires me in in general in life. So one of the things I hear sometimes, because I'm around idea generators or people that are thinking big, and then there's the the follow through that has to come with it. And you clearly seem to be working both of those fronts equally. But when you say invest in people... To people listening that feel like they have to start, you know, volunteering every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or like take (laughs) on this big thing, like what, what would you counter to that? So true, because the first thing in your mind is like, most people have the idea of like, God, I wish I could, but man, I have so many things to do. And I have to be honest with you, I don't. I don't have children. So that's a huge part of it, obviously. And so that doesn't take up a whole a whole lot of my day. But I don't know. I I think I I would have to say to those people, and when I say those people, it's generally the world, because a lot of people say that. A lot of people say, I want to help you, but how do I do it? Because I don't have time to do this. And I don't even want to say that it's like a calling, because really, and, and later we may get into this, but the way that I came into this particular foundation, this particular calling, I guess you could say, um, was kind of a, a unique way, but it wasn't just this foundation. Before this, 
I guess this kind of goes all the way back to, as you, as you put, I remember just looking at the questions, I have a really long history before where I've come so far in life, <laughs> but not in the sense of, <laughs> you're laughing because you know the whole story, not in the sense of uh, career-wise necessarily and things, but um, I mean, I am now living, I have my own business in the very center of one of the biggest cities in the world, in Mexico City. Um, I'm a fluent Spanish speaker. But when people look at me, I mean, you'll, you've seen my picture. I am redhead. I'm white as the day is long. I have blue eyes. I do not fit in in any sense of the word here uh, just by looking at me. So you look and, very Mexican is what yes, you're saying. Yes, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and even then, I mean, I'm a fluent Spanish speaker. I use it all the time. Probably besides speaking with, you know, my students in meetings, things like that, my typical like personal life is 95 to 100 percent Spanish just in general so I don't think about that anymore but truth be told I think that if you look at my story from from years before that's where kind of the social work factor comes out of Um, and I was born in rural Louisiana when I say rural I mean like 30 minutes outside of a town of like less than probably 12,000 people. So uh, it's a small, I was born in Crowley. Technically, I don't even know if I was born in city limits to be, to be truthful. <laughs> um, and, and I grew up with parents who my mom grew up in the city, but it wasn't like, you know, Manhattan. I mean, she grew up in Lake Charles, which was about an hour away from the city where we lived. And she grew up in a, you know, a rather a small family. My father grew up literally on the farm. Um, for his whole life and grew up amongst, you know, seven uh, brothers and sisters in total. And um, so you're like, how did you get from there? A lot of people, when I, they say, where are you from? It's such a complicated question. Yes. It's, never, <laughs> it's never an answer. Like, I can't just say, well, I'm just from here because people assume, you know, then how the heck did you get here? But I, starting out in Louisiana, through a long, a series of, of many, many, many different things, obviously having to do with my parents. Um, by the age of about 10, my father actually, they neither of them went to college. My mom did nursing school to get her certification. And my dad had never gone to college. He was a, a contractor. And I mean, we lived very well as, as kids. We had uh, a, a great, uh, we had great Christmases with lots of presents. We never, I mean, it was just a very small town, Southern traditional family. Um, very religious, extremely religious. My parents actually came from two very uh, like crazy religious backgrounds that would scare you at the things that they, uh, their parents made them or didn't let them do, I guess you could say. But um, as a child, I grew up in that small town. So I, my parents kind of raised me in this Southern lifestyle, you know, the manners and the appearance and the you know, Sunday nice shoes and the, you know, the fluffy dresses and all of these types of things. And then my dad decided when he was, I mean, a little bit over 40 to go to college for the first time. And then we moved to Colorado Springs, which was radical for us because I didn't know anything um, outside of, you know, just the farm, literally, and and driving to and from school in a 30 minute, 30 minute trajectory. And so um, we moved to Colorado Springs, ended up being there for about five years. And then my dad got into uh, social work through missions and et cetera. And uh, it took us to on crazy wild adventures through from the age of 10 to, uh, I guess, until I graduated from, from high school. So that's kind of how we started getting into the living in different countries, learning Spanish as a second language, 
And it brings us all to my sister now lives in France, uh, doing the same thing with her husband and her and her kids. So um, when people say, well, where are you from? I always at heart say, <laughs> I'm Cajun. I'm, Lu- I'm from Louisiana because <laughs> that's where my roots are. That's where a lot of my foundation is from. And God forbid I would say I was from somewhere else because of all of my relatives who live there. But we became like the first family to really leave that area and not only leave to go to a different state, we ended up living in different countries of the world. So I still sit down and go to family reunions every few years with, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins who have never left the country before. So my worldview changed drastically from the age of about probably 10, 11 on to, you know, it still changes (laughs) to this day. But um, going back to the idea of like where how did I get into the volunteer work idea? I guess it just kind of, my dad is very much a promoter of that. He's very much a, um, make, it's not about you. My dad always says that it's not about you, which sometimes quite frankly is very hard to swallow (laughs) because I like sometimes for it to be about me. But, um, it really does enrich your life when you uh, when you said, you know, people who say, I don't have time to volunteer and et cetera. I really don't have time, (laughs) but I, Um, I I thrive off of that. You know, when you have something that really just, if you sit and think, if I didn't have this, I would really not be as happy as I am. And there are several things in life that do that for us. And volunteer work for me is one of those. And volunteer work for a lot of people sounds like I need to have a schedule. I need to make sure I put in these hours. When volunteer has nothing to do really with that, it has more to do with where do I have an opportunity to help my community or what I'm passionate about? Or, I mean, I never, it's not like I was, Oh, I have red hair. So I'm going to work in something where people donate their hair, like not even close. You end up in the strangest places in life. But from when I was young, my, when we traveled and went to other countries, that's what my father did. That's what we did as a family. We, you know, helped build uh, schools and homes and things like that. And I saw the difference between me growing up as a North American and children or families who grew up with absolutely nothing. And I realized how much it, I don't know if I could say satisfied me or fulfilled my life in general of saying, you know what? I really like helping people. That's really what drives me. That's really my passion. And can I do it 24 hours a day and seven days a week? No, I can't. There are moments. Trust me, I am a huge Netflix documentary binger. I know what it's like to sit down on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, if possible, and just be like, you know what? I'm going to watch seven episodes of this. I don't care what what happens on the phone. But um, And sometimes it's tiring. It's the truth. Sometimes it is exhausting. Sometimes the organizing and the events, they physically and mentally and emotionally drain you. But God, I cannot tell you how great it feels at the end of an event for Rizos, for example, even including the president, the all of the the um, volunteers, we like lay back and are like, I could go to sleep right here on the ship. <laughs> but so you're literally at this dinner or event, like ready to just slump exactly. over. All of us at the very end, because it's hours of, for example, for one event, it's hours of uh, people come in. I mean, we're talking 70, 80 to 100 people come in, sign up to get haircuts. Then we have our stylist on one end who are doing haircuts, calling numbers. Then we have a whole table of just sales. So we have T-shirts and um, we have a mascot. Sorry, some of the words. I've literally been speaking Spanish all this morning. So <laughs> a mascot um, for uh, for the association. And we sell like 
um, stuffed animals of them, all of these products to obviously do fundraising for, for the foundation. But it's all, it's madness. I mean, the events are crazy and it, it, it pumps, you have to be pumped up. Like we jokingly, as we open the doors to let every, everyone come in, cause you meet people from all over the country. They travel from other states to come visit, to donate their hair, all of these kinds of things. So you're meeting new people for the first time. It's not like you're opening your doors to, you know, people that are coming to have dinner or your friends. So we jokingly are like, okay, guys, are you ready to open the doors? Did everyone drink water, go to the bathroom and, you know, <laughs> and, go. Calls <laughs> and go, exactly. So, and, and, and ironically enough, like you said, these people who, who, who say, okay, how do I get more involved? How do I volunteer? These, the volunteers that we have are amazing. We do, you know, app, we send out applications in general once a year. And there are a lot of people who say, I really want to do it, but they can't because they don't have time. We, we have a, a strict amount of time that we need them available for. And it's like weekends plan to not have Saturday lives once a month, you know, or yeah. just random things like that. And that's why, why? Because that's what the foundation really requires. But we are so excited when people come up and are like, I don't have time to volunteer. I can't put any type of little, you know, piggy bank in my office because they won't let me. But um, I have, you know, my daughter wants to donate her hair or um, in my kids school, they're going to sell cookies and they want to give you this amount of pesos, you know, towards the, the cost. So it's so much more of what can you do in your environment that makes you it's not it's not to make us feel better. I guess that's that's not the point, but that makes you feel fulfilled, you know, in the fact that you're helping someone else with, I don't know, even politically, when you really feel that you're moved by a specific cause or you really want someone um, you want to support someone. And just by being there, there's so many ways that volunteer takes it takes a turn more for like the well, it has to be this way and I have to have this amount of time in the week when I really don't. Let's just be honest. I don't have that time. I make it that time because I've gotten more involved on a personal level. But volunteer work is literally like, what are you doing from day to day that can make someone else's life and your life a little bit richer somehow? And even the example of, you know, someone growing out their hair, we don't think about what do I have to do to get my hair to grow on a daily basis. But I have to imagine for people that that do set that goal for themselves, like the woman who is talking about her daughter who wants to grow her hair to donate it, there's a difference between brushing your hair every day and just kind of brushing it and going on with your day and brushing <laughs> your hair and watching it get longer, knowing that your hair is eventually going to become a wig for a, a little girl who's sick. Yes. And, and the awesome thing behind that, Kara, is that Ironically enough, it's it's one of those things, you know how when you think about different types of causes, um, I went to, after the earthquake, the, the more recent big earthquake in Haiti, I think it was 2008 or so, I was able to go there for two or three days, do some volunteer work. And those are the things where you think you can't take a kid with you, you know, or you can't take, um, you know, just it, you have to be physically apt and able to do it. You have to maybe have the financial resources to do it. But especially in Rizos, it's really awesome because it's something so personal for someone to give that whether you have, you could have, you know, all the money in the world, but you may not have hair. That's what we actually need to make a wig. Or you're a kid who economically you don't have any money, obviously, but um, they take their little piggy banks to school, you know, to do fundraising, and they're waiting for their hair to grow out because it's something that only they can give. So that's something really awesome that I've been able to see 
that's really like this, it's almost like this just human personal connection that the person who's donating their hair has to the person who's receiving it, obviously, as a wig. And um, I've donated my hair two, two times in my lifetime. And um, of course, I've learned many things since I was donating it into <laughs> coming into where obviously receiving hundreds of, of you know, braids and things. But um, it's really this connection that we never want to take away. And we talk about that all the time in, in the association or in the foundation. We say, you know, I don't I don't ever want us to get to a point where it's just like, ah, we don't need it anymore. We always want some people to feel that they're really doing something and really helping. No matter big or small, you have the ability and the power to do it. And in this case, specifically in this foundation, which is not the case for all of them, um, it's a really personal connection. Like your hair, you can't just say, hey, I'm going to grow a plant and give it to you, you know? I mean, it takes a lot more effort than that. And ironically enough, the the most likes, and you've probably seen uh, several hundreds of, of pictures and things that we have on our, on our Facebook page, but the ones who have the most likes are children, because, you know, kids, it's harder for someone to sit and think, I am going to have the patience for two or three years to not cut it, et cetera, with all the styles and things going on. And men, you know, guys who let their hair grow, which is the typical is to have it short, and then just chop it off. Because if they have it long, most likely it's like a stylish type of thing. And if not, you know, it's thinking, well, they like said, I'm going to let my hair grow out for two, three years or whatever, and then chop it all off. So, so even those small things, people are like impressed. It, like I said, it making it contagious, those types of, of things, people are impressed by, oh my gosh, a guy did that. Like, that's so much more powerful, maybe not more powerful than a woman. But it's but so unique. We, exactly, exactly. Yeah, because that's not the common, that's not the common visual that we, we see no. when we think about an organization like yours or Locks of Love. Exactly, exactly. So Lauren, what I'm hearing is kind of a reminder for people to be a little bit creative about how they can plug in, that it's not always a time commitment, that it, it might be the donation, but kind of looking at what fits their life and, and how they're able to do it. And then what I'm also hearing from your story is growing up, there's constantly been this reminder of of self-inquiry around where do I have an opportunity to help? Is that something, I mean, it sounds like you took that away from your dad and kind of growing up doing mission work and, and various social work over the years. Is there a practice you have to kind of keep your eye on the prize, so to speak? Well, I have to be honest with you here. <laughs> and I please I love it to you before. <laughs> because I like to, like I say, I am a big fan of just be real because it's the truth. We're all real and everyone who's listening to this, if you're not, you're lying to yourself. No. Um I think Come on, fakers. We know. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of on the track of like I you know, I listened to a lot of your podcasts before I came into this. Because I want to know, you know, what's it about, which by the way, one of the last ones, I think it was uh, Sandra Costello, uh, not even joking. I like when she was answering questions, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm going to say. I don't know if that's, exa- <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be like a repetition podcast or care, but we'll see. But I, in the past, just like getting, like we say, getting my shit together, basically, I would have to say in being able to decide, you know, staying on track, I guess you could say. I, in the past, along with everything else of, you know, moving to different countries, uh, what we call third culture kid, which is like you take your home culture, your home as in like physical home, plus where you came from originally, 
plus your new cultures, and you kind of create this culture as a new culture for yourself that has a little bit of all the other ones you've picked up along the way. And it's really a culture that no one else can have besides possibly my sisters who grew up in the same thing. And obviously, kids who have lived things that are, are similar. So, you know, military kids will start out in the United States, but then live in Vietnam and then, you know, create their own culture when they grow up and become adults and decide, well, I like this about my culture, but I don't like this. And I like this about the new culture. So you kind of create your own being, I guess you could say. And when I was a child, <laughs> getting my shit together was so incredibly hard for me, at least as like a, especially in middle school, ironically, when that's when I figured out what I wanted to do in education, and kind of pursued that from there on out. And I also knew how much I wanted to do volunteer work, but I was so, and and I, I, I can imagine that there are so many people out there. You know how now when I look back on kids who are in school, um, because obviously I studied as a high school for, for a long period of time. And I, looking back at the times that we were in school or the kids that are there now, I'm like, God, they have so much help. You know, they have so much <laughs> like just, uh, you know, psychologists and all of these types of things that I'm like, where the hell were all of these people when I was in school? And I don't think it's a bad thing as in that people tried to, you know, make it difficult on us or kind of like do it on your own, but they didn't really have the tools as much as it's been developed now. And I can just remember being in middle school and having such an incredibly difficult time getting my shit together. Like school, I loved to succeed, but I couldn't get myself together enough in order to do it. How did it manifest for you? Just so we, we kind of understand what that looks like for you. Well, in the beginning, it was more example. I um, th- I had a specific English teacher that I would have probably kissed her feet if possible. <laughs> she, she was extremely strict. Um, Mrs. Tripoli was, I mean, strict to no end as if she, we took classes in middle school that later in years, I realized, oh my God, those were college classes. No way in hell were those <laughs> regular middle school classes. And, and I loved it to a certain extent. I loved it because I knew it was like, Lauren, you can do this, right? I mean, it was like me telling myself that, but example, I am a type of, and I've always been this way. I'm an artsy creative person. I, I have a hard time doing just like one thing at a time unless I, I've had to teach myself to sit down, put on classical music, do not get up until you finish this, you know, task by task. Because, because of that personality that I have of being creative and liking uh, multitasking, I love to multitask and I can't focus just on one thing at a time because it drives me crazy. And I, it just becomes monotonous to me. At that time, I didn't realize that in myself. I didn't realize I didn't understand the the possibility of being able to get organized. I just, I would have a test. I would have homework. I would have tons of things. And because no one gave me the tools to actually organize myself, like whether it was a planner, whether it was a, I know, you know, whatever it was to get myself organized in my locker and anything, I just felt, con- I constantly felt like I was falling behind always. And I don't think, for example, I have a younger sister, a year and a half younger than me, Kristen. And she is, I mean, from I think she came out like crying from the womb with a planner in her hand. Like she is just so completely organized for everything. And I felt like for my middle school years, especially, I couldn't get my stuff together. I couldn't get my assignments together. I loved writing and I was creative in it, but 
I never had someone to guide me to say, Lauren, this is how you make a to-do list. This is how you get it done. This is this would help you. Let's put this together. And and I don't think it was my parents' fault in any sense or anyone else around me. It's just they were never given the tools because they didn't need it. We didn't have the same type of personality, you know? And for me, it just was, it manifested itself in, you know, my, for example, math. To this day, math is not my thing. I just, I don't enjoy it. I, it's not my thing. So, um, I, in a lot of sense would, it would be manifest in just a, a bad grade, which for us and my family was like a C, but for my father, yeah. it was like, this is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> there's no reason for you to be making this, this grade. And for me, I wanted so bad to please my parents or the teachers or whatever, but I couldn't get it together. I just couldn't. And so I had to start going little by little, middle school, high school, and then eventually college, where I said to say, okay, Lauren, no one is going to no one is going to define success for you or help you be successful except for you. And you're gonna have to do it in a way that only you know is the best way for you. Because no one taught me how to do it. I just had to figure it out, which was so hard for me. Because I wanted I'm a at the time, not so much anymore, but at the time I was very much I wanted to please people all the time. And I couldn't. And my parents thought it was like laziness or I don't know that I just didn't want to do it when I really, really wanted to, but I didn't have the tools to do it. So now I, uh, through a series of, you know, through college and through master's and all things, you don't have a choice, but you have to get your shit together because (laughs) if not, especially by the time you hit a master's program. Exactly. If not, it's like, good luck with life. It's not going to happen. But on, on the track of like volunteer work and those things like that, I think that actually saw that more of like an outlet because I think when you kind of find an outlet that you're like, you know what, I have, it's almost like a child on the inside. It's like, you know what, I have to do these things because I have to be a responsible adult and I know they have to be done, but then I get to do this. And I think my volunteer work is like my outlet in that sense. I look so forward. I look forward very much to my, my birthday every year, not because of the cake, even though the cake is a great plan. <laughs> But I love organizing and figuring out, okay, who am I going to help this year? Um, How are we going to do it? Um, My announcement that I do on Facebook to family and friends. Like, I really, really enjoy that. And outlets are so incredibly important. For me, they're essential. Like, I would not function without outlets. And for me, one of my outlets is volunteer work. So I can't say it's necessarily like a goal. I have to get the volunteer work done. It's more like a, God, I know how this makes me feel when I get it done. So I definitely want to continue feeling like that and making other people feel great. If that makes any sense. Long version answer to your question. Yeah. So it sounds like using a reward system or, you know, dangling that carrot in front of you. Like I'm going to get to do all of this really awesome volunteer work that makes me feel really fulfilled if I get this other shit done first. Exactly. Exactly. Because the reality is we all have to adult all the time. Unfortunately, we, <laughs> yes, so we do <laughs> to do the rest of the things. But um, I think it's more like my, yeah, like a reward system. It's almost like a, I get to do this and, and I have many other outlets. I mean, it's not just people are going to be like, she's so crazy. Like her favorite thing is just volunteer work. That's her outlet. But um, I know. And I cake. The Come on. There's and also cake. cake. Yes. Cake, cake. Well, and I'm also a big, for example, I love traveling. Traveling to me is Ah, it's my favorite. I love it. I love it. I love it. So whether I can travel and then do things for volunteer work, awesome. Uh, If I can get away for a weekend, go out to the mountains, whatever. Uh, So I think there's a lot of, of different outlets and things. But in this case, specifically, I would have to say like to keep myself on track, 
I am one of those. I'm a to-do list person. I'm most definitely a to-do to-do list person. I am a check it off the list, and I feel like yes, I did it. I didn't get 17 done, but I got 14. You know, or whatever day by day. That's just. But I had to learn to do that. It was very very difficult, especially through my middle school and beginning of high school years. It was, I mean, defeating. It was really really defeating for me. So Lauren, hearing that you're a a taskless person and a to-do list person. And I'm, I'm coming from the, the context very much like your sister. I think I had a Franklin planner by like fifth, sixth, definitely by seventh grade, which I mean, made me super fucking cool, you know, to all the yes. other kids in school with my goal setting and my, I think I was using also a calligraphy pen, like an ink cartridge yes. calligraphy pen to yes. you know write my lofty fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade goals. But that was something like I just took to immediately and never had to struggle with. So what have you learned? So for for people that are creatives that that move a little bit more circularly than linearly. And, you know, I don't right. I don't mean that as an insult. Just it's it's a different direction. It's the right? way that we're exactly it's the yeah. way we get where we're going. Exactly. So for people well, listening, what has helped you organize those tasks? Right. Um, I would have to say, well, I'll have to put, I have to break this into two. I'm sorry that every question and answer, I mean, every answer to your questions is like a long term for this. Spoken like a a true creative. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, I have to go back on this, but it will make a little bit more sense. I think, I think I have to divide it into two very distinct areas of my life. And um, again, like I had mentioned before, I'm a very big uh, activist for being real. Just be real. And I um, I tried so very hard coming from a Southern background, um, especially my mom. God, I love that woman to death, but she is very much, I grew up in a home where it's like everything needs to, appearance-wise, it needs to be perfect. Everything needs to be just right. If it's a party, it needs to be to the T. If it's you're cleaning a house, it needs to be, which I totally appreciate a lot of those things now in my life because I have them as well. But honestly, that appearance that makes sure it's perfect type of a thing, and even the religious factor of it, I have to be quite honest, um, it makes it worse. And it made it worse at the time. It made me more stress and made me more like, all right, I'm already 10 steps behind. I don't know if I can ever, you know, catch up. So in getting organized for me, I think I, this is going to sound like an AA meeting a day at a time. Like, <laughs> Today, this is what I'm going to get done. And and I had to, that's the way I started from middle school and high school. I had to say, okay, Lauren, this is what you need to get done. Absolute. And I started breaking it up into priorities. And, and, and I didn't, I didn't realize till later in college when people were like, no, imagine the ABC priority theory. And I'm like, there's a theory to these things. I just had to figure it out as I went. Where, why am I doing things backwards? But I just had to figure out. And I think that's how I also became really good at my job and grew really quickly in my job when I first started because uh, I started as a teacher, obviously, then moved up to being a coordinator and then eventually to being a principal. And in order to be a principal, you have got to have your shit together. <laughs> there is no <laughs> other option because you have so many things going on and if you don't have a priorities list, then it all just kind of turns into this mumble jumble. Everything needs 
is urgent. Everyone will tell you when they walk into your office or whatever, it's urgent. This is really important. To them, when, right, is the parenthetical. Them, exactly, exactly. The parents, the teachers. And I didn't realize until I was up in a higher level, like as a principal, when a teacher, when I was a teacher, I've probably been like, the urgent thing right now is I need, I have a discipline problem and, you know, whatever with the parents. But I would have teachers come into my, my office and I hope, oh dear God, some of them may be listening to me now and be like, oh, she didn't think that was important at the time. But I would have them knock on my door and say, I have a really huge emergency situation and sit down and they would say, I am not sure how I should divide up my reading list for my kids. And I'm going, are you serious? <laughs> and you can't tell them that because obviously, but you open your mind to a much on a much larger scale, I guess you could say. And you kind of realize that you have to prioritize things and you have to do the ABC. What is really important? And then when you get down to the lower priorities, you start to say, okay, what can I do from this start it, just start it so that when it becomes a really important priority, you've already got half of it done. You know what I mean? And, uh, so for example, if, if I, I don't know, I had the huge priorities were, for example, we were going through a program that we needed to get, um, approved in the school. And it was a program that was going to take, I mean, months of preparation. So I, it was really important. And if I tried to start it a month, you know, before it actually happened, it would have been impossible and I would have been overwhelmed. So I kind of figured out through college because I studied and w worked at the same time. So they kind of balanced out at the same time of getting my things yep. together and just kind of saying, you know, what is a priority? What is really, but let's just get real. What is a priority right now? And that's, that's career wise. Plus the going to the store at the end of the day and getting milk and not forgetting this because also ironically enough, long-term wise, I am a, I have an excellent memory. Like I have a, like my family jokes about how good my memory is because they like to play the game. Like, okay, Lauren, everybody, uh, close your eyes real quick. Okay. Tell us what everybody's wearing and what color earrings and you know, what we were wearing yesterday and what you were wearing when you were five in this incident. Like it's a joke for them because I have really long term, good long term memory, but short term memory. If I don't have a list, it's, it's out the window. <laughs> yes. Because I can spend three hours concentrated on something that I am really excited about. I love to paint. I love to write. I love to do those types of creative things. And if I sit down and start doing it, trust me, I can sit there for, that's why I'm a Netflix binger. I can do it for several hours. But I think you have to look at what's really, really a priority, at least for me. That's the way it worked for me. But then there was this like life-changing stop in the road, I guess you can say, which happened not too long ago. Um, this is 2017. So about five years ago in 2012. And I was at the height of my master's finishing my, uh, you know, my career as a principal at the school. And I had, um, a health scare having to do with my heart and, and it ended up being a complicated thing over, over a period of time. It wasn't like one day to the next. And that care, I have to honestly say would be the crossing point where I went from, it is really important to be on top of things. It is important to be competitive. It's important to be successful. I want to be the best in my field. I want to continue to grow. And, you know, your life just gets flipped upside down to a certain extent. And your the way that you look at priorities is a whole, is, is just a whole different game. It's a whole different ball game. And I think that's what it was for me. I still do my priority list. I still do what is important now, today, tomorrow, what will be important in a week, you know, um, yep. to start working on because I think it's important. But my whole 
uh, life by health factor, I guess you could say, was radically uh, turned upside down. And it made me, oh, it made me really analyze who I was. It made me analyze uh, what I was investing my personal drive in, you know, my life in general, not just my career and how much success, how, how I'm defined by my success or, or how much stress I was taking on constantly. And I didn't, I guess I realized it, but I just acted like, oh, this is normal. I'm supposed to be going crazy at this age and this early in my career, you know? And, uh, and I found out it wasn't, I found out it wasn't exactly, um, it, it doesn't produce anything except for a really stressed person affected in more ways than just being, uh, you know, aggravated all the time or going to sleep really late and waking up really early. It's, it's, it became much more than that. And it turned my life drastically to where eventually it led me to coming here to Mexico and, and so many other things, but it was like a, Oh, I don't know, like a, a self-evaluation type of a thing because I had no other option. I had to stop. I literally had to stop for a while and it was like, all right, well, now what is my, like my priority went from, I need to go to this many meetings, make sure this is happening, getting there on time, going to bed at one o'clock in the morning to, okay, you need to survive between now and tomorrow kind of a thing. Yeah. So it, really, it really changed my whole view of life, I guess you could say. Well, and it's, it's funny because, all right, so I think we've established that I've been a geek about productivity and getting things done <laughs> and how to organize things for a long, long, long time. What, right. three and a half decades now, probably? <laughs> Something like that. And what's interesting to me is like, as you share that this was a cardiac issue for you, you know, what I've seen in several different, you know, places, you know, I can't even remember which books exactly. I think in Tim Ferriss's book, he he talks about this as well, where one of the exercises, you know, for the types of people who are like, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, like they're on that like treadmill of known as life and like trying right. to pack in as much as they can and being as competitive as possible. One of the exercises is picture that you had a heart attack tomorrow and you were yeah. told and you were for told real? that you could only work four hours a day. What would be important? And it yeah. sounds like, in, you know, there's the textbook version of that. And then you were hit with the real version of that and had to kind exactly. of figure that out. Yeah. And I was 25. I mean, it, for me, I'm still rather young. You know, I rushed through college. I worked at the same time. I paid for it myself, I, which I don't regret any of it. I don't regret how far I came. I don't regret doing my master's that young. I was really, really driven. But unfortunately, like you said, we think that's normal. Like we think that we type A's do anyways. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we think it's and me. I'm the like, I'm not a <laughs> la la land type of person. I mean, my mother probably would say like, Oh, Lauren, she's in another world. But I, I'm not an, a la la land type of person anymore. I'm very much driven by like what I want to do where I see myself. But I think my trajectory, I think my 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 vision range, I guess you could say was a lot shorter at the time. And I thought, this, I'm going to be great by the time I'm this age, and they're going to want me in this place, and and just all of these things. And I still loved my job. I didn't really necessarily hate my job because I was convinced this is what I want to do. And to this day, I'm in the same field. I'm still doing education. But true, like imagine the, you can only work four hours a day. Imagine the, Lauren, don't work for two weeks straight. And then you have to go little by little. I mean, I had to literally walk in uh, to the owner of the school and say, I have, this is the most difficult thing at my age where I've gotten and say, 
I need to go back to being a teacher. I can't be the principal anymore. And that was so incredibly, it was to me, first of all, it was humiliating. And second of all, it was like the first time where I said, Lauren, you have to be an adult, but not like in the sense of I'm adulting today. You have to be an adult and, and look at it on a larger scale and put your priorities of, I have to be honestly, spiritually, uh, just on relationship levels, any, any sense of the word that you can think about that doesn't have to do with being career related. I had to reanalyze it because it was, it had dwindled down to little to nothing because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't manage it all at the same time. And I realized how important it was for me to reevaluate it all, reevaluate the connections that I had or didn't have. And eventually, ironically, the person that at the, now that I'm married to, um, I met her when we were probably, I mean, I was in the middle of all of this, probably two months prior. And I was feeling like I was on top of the world. And we had talked over a period of probably about six months straight. And I was just very driven by my career. And it took me a really long time to sit down and say, and obviously she lived here in Mexico City. I, I didn't at the time. And also an educator. And I kept saying, you know what? I really need to evaluate what do I want? What's really going to fulfill me as a human being more than a career? I still want my career. I still want to be the top of my game in my eyes. You know what I mean? As people say, what is success to you? Success is really what I define it as, you know? And, um, which is what Lauren success. Oh, that's such a long, (laughs) (laughs) I think success I will be honest with you. I Before, if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said success is being the best in your game and still having your shit together. I would have said that probably. And now I would have to say success is defined by me. I define success. It's not defined by the people around me. It's not defined by even the, the people who in with whom or in, I think I'm in competition with next to me or around me. Success is defined by me. Stability is mentally and, you know, financially or however you want to look at it is defined by me. And I think success goes way beyond what we, we put it in this like box of our career, you know, and or the financial success we have and which is great, but unfortunately it's not going to go very far. And I, it's limiting. Exactly. It's limiting. And some people that makes them really, really happy, which I agree. I I mean, it's great to to be on the top of your game and everything. But I, I had to sit at the time when that happened, the health crisis that I had, I had to sit and every day to myself, I said, okay, Lauren, you're going to wake up and you're going to be better than you were yesterday. The version of you, that's it. It, if if you if I put it if I put it into a box of what my colleagues were doing or people at other you know um, uh, competitive um, international schools there were doing as leaders of the school I felt like you know I was completely failing if I would have based it out of that one day I'm sitting in bed and I can't move you know or could do very little and it was a long process but through that process I had to learn okay Lauren just be better than yourself than you were yesterday whether it was physically and you can get up a flight of stairs today. Or better than, you know, what you did two hours ago or whatever it may be. Or today I had 700 things on my list and I could get three done, but yesterday I got two done, you know, which sounds crazy. But after years now, I'm, I'm so glad that I kind of learned that lesson at, a, at an early age 
And to some extent, I'm grateful that that happened because I realized I define my success. You know, it's not defined by the people who are around me. And it's most definitely not defined by kind of like we say, our, our enemies who act like they're not your enemies type of thing. Uh, because if we let them define it, we're never going to be good enough. And I think that was a very hard lesson for me to learn. I have to be totally honest with you. I haven't fully learned and a, it. And a painful <laughs> lesson. And I yes. appreciate your I appreciate your candor. I think we're all a work in process, right? Yes. I, uh, I totally agree. The the being the being enough is the most difficult thing for for people to accept. I think to to feel like I am enough for me, I, and, and for some people who don't do anything with their life, I guess you could say, it's probably very easy possibly, but maybe not even that in that case. There's people that we think that they're like, ah, they don't want to do anything with their life anyway. And maybe they've gotten stuck in that hole, you know, after a long period of time and they really do, but they just don't know how to get it together type of a thing. So I think we kind of all battle that little piece of, am I good enough inside of us all the time? I know I do for certain. Like, I think, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I wouldn't be hosting this podcast and trying to learn from other women if I had that totally figured out myself. So, And I don't even know if it's possible to figure it all out, but I'm trying. I'm trying to some extent. And I, I think that's a great point. I mean, for anyone listening, that we're not going to figure it out perfect. And and at any given moment, life can throw a giant fucking curveball at us, which it did for you. And you really had to take stock of everything on a really foundational level. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think, again, I, I, this not being good enough when something hits you in the, in the face, you can, you, you, I think we have it constantly inside of us. It's not like it, I woke up one day and we're like, Oh, I don't feel like I'm good enough today. What's happening? <laughs> you know, I think it's something we kind of had have hidden away and it, and it manifests itself in so many ways, you know, bullying people who feel like they need to make other people feel like they're less or, you know, whatever it may be, it's because we don't feel like for ourselves, we're just, we're good enough for the people around us, for our family, for our relationships, whatever it is. And that idea of I'm not good enough when that curveball hit me is like, I was standing in the field of, you know, um, <laughs> spectators in the baseball game, and I did not have the mitt to catch it. <laughs> I, I was totally blindsided. I still, I had a black eye for several months. But I think that that was the only thing, and honestly, it was probably the only way that I really would have learned the things that I've learned and continue to learn today in that area. Because if I would have kept going, so many things. I wouldn't have met the person that I'm with today. I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have realized how, what the really important things are for me as a woman in my relationships, in my job, in, in life in general. So it's like flipped my priorities upside down to say, you know what? I am the one who decides who, if I'm successful. I am the one who says if I'm good enough or not. I just have to be better than I was yesterday. I'm competing with me, with nobody else. And it's a, really hard for, I think, a lot of people to to get because our, the world teaches us something totally different. And that... When you break it down, and I'm sure you could write a book on the amount of lessons that came out of that period of your life in intricate yes. detail, but just that notion of you're competing with yourself and all you have to do is get up and just be a slightly better version of yourself the next day or attempt. It's Maybe it's not even succeeding that day. It's just, I'm just going to try to be a better version of myself tomorrow. Yes. Exactly. 
exactly. And again, I, I don't think it's, I think a lot of it has to do with our, our careers push us towards that, whether you're the, you know, the freelancer who's working from home, whether you're the person who is, you know, extremely successful, the CEO of a company. I think that, yes, we have, we have competition around this everywhere, how we look, how we, how we dress, how just everything, how we speak, you know, how we present ourselves, first impressions, just all of these things that the list of those things will never end. They will be there all the time. They're not going anywhere. They change from time to time and become more intense, but that's about it. And now they're recorded on social media. That's about it. (laughs) But there's no, I mean, to be quite, like we said, getting real here, I, it took me a long time, even till recently, to be very honest, of being good enough for myself and my own, you know, personal relationship. Like I, I hate competition. I, it was, it's very easy to become a jealous person. Um, and in a long sense, it's like, you know what I know when, when you know who you are, it is so incredibly freeing when you know, um, where you're going, even if it's at the steps that you're able to do it, you know, it's so incredibly freeing. And I didn't realize how freeing that was until probably uh, till that happened. And I made the decision to, to come to, to Mexico city. And the main reason I made the decision was to be with the person that I felt I was going to be with, you know, for now and forever. But it was a huge, I had to swallow my pride kind of a thing. And, um, you know how our, a lot of times people do this, um, and, and maybe I, I I don't know, maybe this is, is, is something that is not as prevalent as, as I think it is. But the idea of people saying, you know what, that's not, you know, I'm going to be this way. This is me. Um, and I don't want what other people are doing to affect me. It really does affect us. And yes, I just had to kind of put down like my, my uh, sword <laughs> and the rest of my armor and just kind of say, you know what? I don't want to burn bridges anymore. I want to build bridges. I was, especially as, as a third culture kid, Kara, I cannot tell you how, and to this day, it's it's a struggle for me. I hate goodbyes. I hate them to like such a big extent. It's crazy. I don't like confronting it. I don't like doing it. I just would rather be like, hey, see you later. And then possibly never see that person again. Um, exiting you know, relationships in general in life. I just hate goodbyes and I hate changes. I hate them so much. I can't even tell you it, it like mentally, emotionally, and physically affects me. And I had to come to the realization, even in those types of things of saying, you know what, I want to be a person who builds bridges. I want to be a person who, um, who goes the extra mile, who, jumps out there and says, I can do this, even though I'm afraid to do it, but I'm good enough. You know, I'm not defined by what other people around me say that I am, or I need to be in my career, in my relationships, in whatever. It's what makes me happy to an extent. And and it, when you figure that out, God, it is so freeing. And I probably wouldn't have figured <laughs> it out. I probably wouldn't have figured it out by the age that I did. It just, because of that incident, it made it, you know, kind of uh, become more prevalent to me. I could, I could see that that is what I needed to learn, you know, and it's helped me in so many other circumstances because I have to, and I still wake up every morning. I have to say, Lauren, you're good enough. You're good enough today. And you will be good enough. If you just go, if your competition is you, 
you know, be better than you were yesterday. And it sounds so cliche, again, like a t-shirt I should be walking around in, but it's really, really true because we listen to so many other voices around us. You have to be that number one. In my case, I don't have children, but I hear this a lot. You have to be that mom who's involved in everything. You have to get everything done or the wife or the husband or the whatever. And really it's the connections that you make with humans around you, you know, the connections that you make with them to make them feel like they're good enough and that you're good enough also for for yourself. But it's difficult. It's extremely difficult to do. It's incredibly difficult. I mean, as I approach my 40s very soon, that's coming up on me quick. You know, as I approach that point in my life, I always hear from women older than me that that's, you know, the 40s are are the, the decade in your life where you stop giving a fuck you know, about the other voices, (laughs) about the external noise, about all of that. So the fact that, you know, what was incredibly scary for you at at that point in your mid-20s, where you're having this like major health crisis, but Mm. it helped you, you parse all of this out and learn that lesson at such a young age is amazing. Yeah. And, and again, I don't, if it didn't happen to me, Kara, I have to be honest, I don't think that I would have learned. I mean, I probably would have, but maybe, I don't know, into my 40s, 50s when it was too late. And and when I say too late, it's, I'm, I'm glad that it taught me the things that it did. And I look at things in a very different way now. And not because of the, oh, I could die tomorrow. That's also a part of it. But honestly, I still, I'm trust me, I'm not like the person who never complains. I definitely complain about stupid shit all the time. Or, you know, I still do things that you think, oh, you're on the verge of death. You could have, you know, you should see things differently now. But I mean, in the general sense of life, like you said, you're approaching 40 and you think, um, well, now I don't care what you think. I think we kind of, as humans, go through this. Uh, And it's going to sound so weird to say this because sometimes when I say it, people look at me like, "Ah, I don't know if I've gone through that, but okay. Um, I think we kind of go through this, uh, these different stages of kind of, I guess, like fear of being able to be who we really are. And like you say, getting to a point where you're like, I don't care what people think anymore. Like I really honestly do not give a shit about what people think about me. And in order to get through that, I think honestly, if I, if that wouldn't have happened to me, I wouldn't have been realizing it till many years later. But I think we go through this stage of, for me at least, it was a, I grew up in a really, really strict religious home. And at the time it was uh, suffocating. It was very suffocating. And, and when I say religious, I mean, just like in everything that you breathe, eat, whatever it has to do with religion. And I don't want to take away the, the piece from that because I don't want people like, oh, she's totally against it now because I'm totally not. I, I believe a lot in the discipline that it taught me for many things in life. Uh, it didn't help me get my shit together by the age of, <laughs> of 12 or 13, but it has a some piece of value for me in my life, especially because my parents are religious people, but they're very, um, they're grounded people. My father, especially, is a very grounded person. And the way that he sees things, I envy some, even to this day, I envy the way that he sees things in the world. He's a very zero complications guy. My mom is a little bit the opposite. Um, So you give and take from things that you think are are necessary in life. But because of that background of having such a strong religious uh, suffocating type of background, I realized that I had a fear for many, many years, especially before this point. Um, 
I technically, I would say I didn't start to come out until I was probably like 16, 17. But to be frankly, truly honest, there's probably many people listening to this podcast are like, oh, I didn't know that she was out. But so, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, we all know Mrs. Tripoli, I, and now we know Lauren's out. <laughs> and now, you know, exactly. So, which to me was, I think because I was, there was a fear on two ends. There was a fear a lot with my career because with my career, it was like, I never wanted to mis- mix my per- personal life, which I didn't. And to this day, honestly, I don't do it a lot just because I feel like you said it's nobody's business. So it doesn't matter. But, um, I think before that I had this fear of my biggest fear was like a, like a fit, almost like a physical fear, like that suffocating feeling of terror. My father was a very, is to this day, I I laugh because he has grandchildren and he doesn't treat them the same way he treated us, which is like, (laughs) what is happening in this household? But, um, he's more of a softy now, but at the time, you know, parents parent the best way that they know. And a lot of it has to do with your background. And in their case, it was just very strict and I understand it and I completely comprehend it. At the time, it was suffocating to me. And the fear was like a physical, real fear. Like, <gasps> I'm going to get yelled at. or I'm In any sense of the word, not from coming out, because I didn't know that when I was a lot younger, obviously. But I mean in the sense of it was suffocating because I was like a trembling fear, you know? And I think that fear still existed. Like, even to this day, uh, I mean, a few years ago, I would say you know, something to my dad. And I'm the type of person for fear. I'm like, spit it out and then crouch down and see how much damage is left after the explosion. And then just like, hope it's not as bad as you thought it was be. And it, and I, you know, take four, five or six weeks before thinking about how bad it could be. And just, and I, so the, per, the perseveration just builds for you. Exactly. I'm one of, and of course, as a creative imaginative person, I'm like, what if, this, like I say, let's do the worst situation so that if it's the least, you know, amount of damage, then it's totally fine with me. So, but I'm like that in general. So I, I had this like trembling type of fear, I could say in my life of, oh my God, I'm like, it's something is going to be wrong. I'm doing it wrong. Even the, and the idea of not getting my shit together in middle school, like not being able to do my homework or remembering all of my assignments and then also trying to be social, but then I didn't want to, I couldn't get it all together. And that my reaction to my father, just as he learned before was like, Lauren, get it together. What's wrong with you? you (laughs) And I understand it now because it must've been extremely, you know, frustrating as parents, but to me, it just made it worse. And I realized that I went, we go through, like, I, I would say I did go through these like stages of types of fear And for me, my biggest fear in life, in my career, especially in my family, directly with my parents, my fear was like this, you know what, I am afraid that it's going to be like, I'm going to end up trembling because you're going to yell at me or you're going to be so uh, furious with me. You know what I mean? Uh, Whether it's a boss that I don't want to, you know, make angry or whatever it may may have been. And then it eventually turned into this fear um, throughout the years of like the fear of disappointment. You don't want someone else to be disappointed in you. And which is almost worse than the explosion oh, sometimes. Totally. Or at least, or at least it is for me. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Because then you now you have the when you're really young, it's kinda like, you know, I never was a party girl. I never was the because I paid for my own college. So I was working and going to college at the same time. I didn't have time for partying. But I kind of it, make the equivalent of or the balance of like 
<laughs> the comparison of if my if I would have been a party girl, you know, and my father figured out I was going to parties and skipping classes or something like that, he would have been furious. That type of like fear, like oh, I, like a like a scolded child basically, and then like you said, the, the, the stage of disappointment fear is so much more impactful and so much stronger and so much, uh, influential, I guess you could say, which weighed very heavy on me. And then when all of this happened, and and it was a process, obviously, when all of this specifically the health scare and all of this happened, I, like you said, I kind of woke up over a series of, um, and it took a while over a few months of recovery and things where I said, fuck it. (laughs) <laughs> I just took a deep breath and I said, fuck it, that is it. And I, and I'm so glad you put that little thing at the beginning of all your podcasts. I like, get the kids out of the car because then I feel really bad about the whole, the whole show is explicit anyways. Yes. So. <laughs> but literally I just was, you get to a point and it's true. And maybe it's age wise. It's ex- for me, it was experience wise. It was scare wise, I guess you could say where you come to a point and you say, I'm, I'm terrified. Like there's a, I'm terrified trembling like a little rabbit that I'm, I don't want to disappoint you. And then you get to this freeing point where you say, I am good enough for me and I am going to do what makes me happy. And besides the people that are really close to me that I really need next to me through life, it's not really that important. And if it's really that important to you, that I be a certain way or that I act a certain way or that I respond a certain way, then I don't know if I can have you that involved in my life (laughs) really. And, and it's, and it sounds cruel, but it's so freeing. And for me, that's what it was. I had to have this moment where I said, you know what, in order to give the, get to the moment of just fuck it, I don't care anymore. I had to go through that. I'm terrified, but then I don't want to disappoint you. And then you realize, funny enough, for example, after talking to the person who now I'm, I'm married to, but after a period of time, I had my career was kind of on hold for a period because I was ill. And then um, getting over this fear and kind of being like, okay, Lauren, you're good enough. You can do this. Life is telling you to slow down. Life is telling you to, telling you to do what you love, but change the rhythm. And along with that, I can remember I came for a period of time and and uh, December of that same year of 2012, and she and I were together for probably two two weeks or so. And at the end of it, I remember flying home, feeling the, a bigger weight than I could have of any type of fear in my life, of just sadness. Like God, this is what I want. Why am I not? Why am I not saying fuck it to everything else once again? <laughs> and, and I would have never done that before, Kara. I think if I would have never been hit in the face with the with the illness and had to slow down and analyze life and change my priorities, I don't think I would have ever said, I'm going to take off to another country and be with someone. No, I don't think I ever would have said that. But I do have to say that I remember the moment I was, I was, I don't even remember how old I was turning at that. Well, anyway, it was a day after my birthday and I was still ill. And I remember waking up and walking to the mirror in my bathroom and just looking up, washing my face, lifting up. And I just thought, who are, like, I can just remember saying it. Who are you? And the person that my roommate at the time probably thought it was crazy. (laughs) But because I remember her saying like, what? I was like, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to myself in the mirror. But I just remember like looking at myself and feeling strangest feeling of, this is not like you anymore. You're not the 
number one, top principle, top this, top that, you know, going under, I couldn't, I physically could, couldn't do it anymore. And I had just come back from realizing at the time in Mexico city that I spent about two weeks from realizing this is who I want to be with for the rest of my life, which it was not something I had done. I mean, I, I, there are moments in my lifetime where I can remember, Oh, this is when I knew this. And this is when I knew this, but this was a Lauren, you have been trying to be this person for a period of time. And you've been like my wonderful Southern mama told me, you know, you have to be your best and you have to do this and you don't look too um, out of the ordinary because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. And to you the girl with bright red hair, which is I know, funny real, in its own right. Exactly. And and I took that to heart and I was like, God, I don't want to disappoint people. I want to be really good. I, just all of these things. And I can just remember feeling this huge weight of exhaustion just I just, and I just said, who are you? Like, this is not you. And I remember this was the day after my birthday and I sat down at the table. I made out a, a, my famous to-do list and on the top of my list was buy for sale signs. And I went out that afternoon and I, because the, the classes, we didn't start until a little bit later in, in January because the school schedule is different there in Costa Rica. And I just remember looking and thinking I'm going to do this. I, this is what I want to do. Like the most, I'm a very decisive person also. I'm not, I don't take a lot of time to make decisions. I like to make them fast and quick. And if there are consequences, well, it's my fault. So <laughs> I'm the just do it type of person. And I just remember saying for sale signs. And I went to the store and I bought probably, I don't know, maybe four or five for sale signs, put one on my car. And I went around, I put one at the school actually where I was working. And I put, I printed out a bunch of pictures of all of my, um, appliances, my, I mean, I had a house, it was a four, four bedroom home. So just my furniture, my sofa, my refrigerator, my everything, everything must go sale. Everything must go sale. And, and I also, at the same time, I can't, I can't tell you, I was like hundred percent, like, you know, the Trojan war go onwards soldiers. I was, I was trembling a little bit inside and I said, Within six months, I am leaving here and I'm moving to Mexico. This is what I want, which was crazy because everyone looked around me like, Lauren, what is wrong with you? And they also looked you like looked at me. A lot of people looked at me like she doesn't really know what she wants, even though they knew me, even though they knew how determined of a person I was, how driven of a person I was, how I got things done. I do get things done when I want them done. But they still looked at me like she is Fallen in love and it's crazy, which I didn't tell people I was in fallen in love, but they assumed I was crazy, obviously. But I can just remember that moment of being, I don't care what other people think of me because this is my priority now. Now, I went through a whole series of like, I need to make sure I'm, you know, I'm saving up money. I'm doing all of this, looking you for a job. Looking for I was adulting because it was necessary. I didn't want to look totally crazy. But at the same time, I just thought, yep. This is me not giving a fuck. And I would walk around the school with a big smile. <laughs> I still got shit done. I still was an awesome teacher. I still have students who write me and say, Miss Falk, I have never had a better writing teacher and I am graduating college now. And I'm like, yes, that's right. You are. And, and I take a lot of pride in those things because I, I knew how I know personally they didn't know, but I knew how difficult it was for me at the time to get that shit done and to make it a priority and to make it you know, this is my passion. I'm going to do it well. 
But at the same time, I, on the, on a personal level with all of my coworkers and things, I was like, I just have, I, I do not give a fuck attitude anymore. So, and it felt so freeing. It was amazing. And, and it took me through a whole series of moving to Mexico that in itself changed. Like I said, I hate change, which is ironic. Why I would wake up one morning and say, let I'm going to say, I'm gonna, yeah, you're going to turn your whole life upside exactly. down but or at least I sideways. Kind of, exactly. And I, but that was the, that was the only way, like I, I thought, okay, Lauren, if it's almost like I said, all right, if I'm going to change, I'm going to do this shit. Like I'm going to make sure I'm changing for real. Or if I'm going to let, if I'm not going to fuck, I'm going to give a, I'm going to let make sure it's a full fuck. <laughs> I'm not gonna yeah. Why well, go halfway if you're exactly. <laughs> and I didn't, and it was very scary because I'd never been that way before. It's like I had just gotten through, you know, my bachelor's and my master's and kind of thought, Oh, okay. Now I am on the right track to what I'm supposed to be doing in life. But when I got to this point of there's some things in life that just matter more and some things in life that will just make me happier, that is what I'm going to do. And when I made that decision, I still was a great teacher. I still finished out the school year exactly how I wanted it to be with, you know, fireworks and the whole shebang. But for me, it was more of a, I, I didn't, that was the first place I think I left in my career feeling incredibly happy. And it wasn't like a goodbye and try to run from it. Like I finished it out well. I saw the importance in that. But it was so much more important for my my sanity, I guess you could say, and my heart to a certain extent. It sounds very cheesy, but... Literally, uh, your heart. <laughs> yeah, my heart, literally, exactly. To follow what I knew I really wanted and needed in both, in both sense. I wanted it and I felt like I needed it for me. And since coming to Mexico, I mean, it was a very big transition. I'm just now moving to my official, uh, apartment, uh, our, our first apartment that I'm having to do a lot of work for, but I am so, I get home exhausted, Karen. I'm so happy. Like this amount, that, that moment of me deciding you can do this. You're enough. You are going to decide who, whether you're successful or not. And when I made that decision, I just rebuilt my life here and it's not for everybody. It's totally not for everyone, but it was like I said, you know what? I'm going to go for what really I know is going to make me happy. And it has. It really has. I've had ter- tremendous amount of bumps along the way. But it really has made me who I am now in the sense of being happy and also in the sense of be, of saying, I know what real what a real priority is now. Lauren, I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your story and sharing so much of of just who you are and what I'm hearing, listening to your story, and I'm sort of clapping and moving my hands around and trying not to bang the microphone, which is an occupational hazard I'm learning as I, as I podcast these days. I get so excited that like I could knock everything off my desk some days. And this is one of those moments. But it's, awesome. it sounds like to me that you've really dialed in you know, as much as any of us can at any given moment to what you want and what you need to have a fulfilling and, or as I like to say here at Vital Core, you know, a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Absolutely. But to your point, there are bumps in the road and there are moments that that we don't feel like that or that notion is challenged. And I want to skip over to some of the champagne questions. And these are the questions that I serve all my guests. Just like if you came to my house, I would open a bottle of champagne. 
Yes. Awesome questions. I looked at it and I was like, yes, Kara, that is totally me. I will absolutely <laughs> answer these questions. Go for it. Absolutely. So, so I think like a, a really natural segue to, to what you were just saying was what's the most impactful habit or maybe what's the most impactful hour of your day that helps keep you going? impactful hour of my day. Well, um, contrary to the other people in my household, I am a very much a morning person. I, uh, and I think this comes from the growing up on the farm thing. My father's the same. My family in general is the same. Impactful moment for me is quiet moment, quiet time for me to be with my thoughts. Actually, before the heart incident, I used to do yoga And I actually left it and didn't do it for a while. And just this weekend, uh, we had gone to a a resort just to chill out because it was a a long weekend. And they had a yoga class. And I was like, "Ah, I'm going to try it again. And I totally went back uh, and did it. And I felt amazing when I finished it. I was like, I am going to get myself a yoga mat again. (laughs) Um, But just that... That idea, I think because my mind is such a, a runner, like I am, I love to just be creative in this and that and I'll start something and then I'll say, okay, I'll come back to that in a minute. I like to run my mind all the time. Um, quiet, thoughtful, almost to a certain extent meditation time is so important for me because it kind of centers me and morning time for me is the most important. I am definitely, I love to watch the sunrise. It's like an inspirational type of thing for me. Uh, Again, not like my household. My wife will wake up and be like at nine and be like, what the hell were you doing awake at 630? (laughs) I was uh, thinking that too. No, we're definitely not the same. And it's not for everyone. But trust me, then again, try to be like, you know, watch a movie at 9pm. I am out in the first, you know, the previews. So um, yeah, morning time for me is the the biggest, like I definitely sit down with a hot cup of tea when I can, when I can, because I do very early mornings too. But I am the type, for example, Monday through Friday in general, I get up at 15 to five, because I give a very early class in the mornings at about 645 or so on the other side of the city. But I like to get there really early. And if I get there right on time, I feel flustered for some reason, even though I have, like we say, my shit together, I know exactly what I'm doing and what we're doing in the class. I like that time of just sitting in Starbucks, uh, listening to a little bit of music, writing down some things I have to do for the day that the quiet time for me is absolutely necessary. That's the most impactful time for me, I guess you could say. Got it. Got it. And what's the most inspiring or useful book you've read? Ugh, this also grew up for a very long time. So I am a big reader. I was not when I was younger because I actually, younger, I had a, a when I was younger, I had a lot of problems with reading comprehension because I was so, my mind would wander all the time. Um, but when I got into reading and really loved it with my English teacher, Mrs. Tripley, when it was obligatory, that it was terrible. But then I started to love it. And I would have to say the most impactful, my favorite book of all time, and I will always have uh, copies in my house at any time, and even recommend it to people, is To Kill a Mockingbird. That will be my all-time favorite ever, ever. Um, I think the comparison of, like, you know, Scout as a young um, Southern girl, Tom girl, tomboy, I guess you could say, which was, I was definitely growing up on the farm. And um, I think that the lessons that her dad teaches her, her father as a lawyer teaches her through equality of people in a time that was so much more difficult to comprehend than it is now. Or maybe it's even, who knows, who knows what's more difficult now or then, but, but it yeah, was a very it's hard to tell these days. Time. Exactly. But um, yeah, that's a really impactful book. It's one of those books I can read over and over again. And I, I'm a big 
um, fan of leadership books, things like that. Um, but I have to be honest, the books and movies that are like the very low key ones are children's books or things that you know that they're written for children, but you know, there's so much more deep, there's so much deeper than, than, than just the words that are there on the, on the page. I'm a big fan of, you know, the Dr. Seuss ones that have so much more meaning than just what you're reading. And actually the book that I use a lot, and I always have a printed out version of this amongst, you know, my bookmarks and things always in my bedroom or in my bathroom or things is the Velveteen Rabbit. And which sounds crazy, like, oh, that's so inspirational. But the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, there's a quote in there that I love to always have that there's a there's a skin horse, they call him in the story that is the Velveteen Rabbit asks, you know, how do I become real? Like, I want to be real. That's his big desire in life. And which spoke so much more to me when I was um, going through the illness and, you know, coming out of it and making a lot of big life changing decisions and the velvet in the, in the same story, you know, the velveteen rabbit says, how do I become real? And the skin horse answers like you become, it takes, he says, it takes a really long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges um, and, and have to be carefully kept. And so he says, generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and, you know, you get loose in the joints and very sloppy and shabby. And then, he says, but these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. And I think it's just such a, you know, something from a children's book, but I think that idea to me is amazing. Like you just being you just being real has nothing to do with how people really see you. It's how you really are, you know? And the only time that that's ugly to the people around you is when they don't get it. And, um, I, for a period of time had something even up on my Facebook of something that I love that I saw of, of, of a a quote that said, be around people who get it, you know, make a point to surround your people, surround yourself with people who get it. And when I say get it, I mean, in whatever that sense of get it is for you, you know, for me, um, it was a, uh, this is me, (laughs) accept me as I am. Um, I am good enough for what. I want to be in life and, you know, in the circle in which I'm, I'm creating my business or I'm working or I'm, you know, whatever it may be. And that's not, if, if you find that ugly in the sense of, I don't make enough money or I don't uh, do exactly what I should be doing, or you think I should be whatever it may be, you know, and whatever in, the, in your- the external, the external bar exactly. that's being set for you is. Exactly. And to the other people, kind of like it says, it may be ugly. It could be ugly in the sense of they just don't get it. They don't get it and they don't understand it. Then, of course, it's going to be ugly because they don't under, they don't get it. And being real is something that you become. And it and it, it's a process. And I will continue to have to try to be real as much as, as possible. But I think in that that story to me is is definitely a classic. And I love having that that quote up because it reminds me just be you just be real it's so much more valuable than fake so much more valuable yes and it sounds like you're a kindred soul in terms of thinking books are are such a source of inspiration and energy for you is there anywhere else like when you're feeling down and out or just feeling a little bit off kilter is there anywhere (laughs) else or anything else to which you go when you need that kind of inspiration? Well, I think it's so much more, for me, the more things that inspire me much deeper than 
you know, reading pages on a book and things is inside of the volunteer work and things that I do to me, I'm extre- I'm an extremely fortunate person in to be able to get to know people that I probably won't see again in a specific lifetime or a specific amount of time, sorry, in my lifetime. But, um, with those families, for example, we, we get to know very well the families of the children who receive the wigs and the stories that they tell are obviously the ones that inspire me the most because it's never even close to what I am living or going through or the obstacles that I have to go over, go through or over, jump over on a daily basis, it's not even close to those. So in order to really say what inspires me the most, I'd have to say ordinary people, ordinary people that to me do extraordinary things. So families who say, yeah, we really want a wig for our daughter, but we, uh, are going to be there, you know, five minutes late because we've been traveling for four hours to get here, which I'm thinking, oh my God, like, <laughs> like why I are you even that... telling me you're going to be I five know. minutes late and you've traveled exactly, four hours? Exactly, exactly. Or things like, you know, these families, a lot of them, they're coming from public hospitals, which means they're, you know, paid for by the state, which means that they're probably, they've probably been sent there from another state far away, which means they have to come stay there, take care of their child, find a place to live, find some way to survive. So when they're not in the hospital, they have to be able to, you know, feed their child um, and themselves, uh, leave most likely a family behind. If they're a single mom, that means leave a, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old taking care of the little kid back, you know, hours and hours away. So those stories that I hear um, are people who, you know, I have been fighting cancer for three, four, five years, and they're nine years old. And I just look at that. And I'm like, God, I want to be like you when I grow up, like to have that strength and to have that perspective on life. A lot of times is just unfathomable to me. I, and I always think like, yeah, I never want to become, and I say this all the time to, to the president. I always say, I never want to to become desensitized to those things. I always want that to be something that impacts me. I want to be awestruck by the stories that people tell me that they live through all the time because that's what inspires me to be like, when I tell you I complain about how hot it is or something, I'm like, Lauren, shut up. That is not even an excuse. Don't even go there. And it's true because what we find as um, something that is necessary to complain about or whatever it may be to them, it's so trivial that there's no comparison. Like I, sometimes I just want to sit there and be like, okay, I'm not going to talk for two days because (laughs) it's so incredible. The, the, the amount that they inspire me on the strength, the perspective, the outlook that they have on life, all of these types of things, ordinary people who to me do extraordinary things is what inspires me most. Amazing. And I think there's going to be a lot of women who are completely awestruck in hearing your story today. And my next couple of questions have to do with being a woman and specifically being a modern woman. And I guess my my first question to kind of understand the framework for which you look at and think about, you know, those two little words, modern woman, you know, how would you define being a modern woman today? I think this also is another complex one. (laughs) Um, But the way that I, if you, again, if you would have asked me this five years ago, I would have been 
probably on the same lines of saying, I probably would have said something like, you know, be uh, the best in your field, go for it. Never, you, like, you know, the, you'll the have Nike time to ad of inspiration. Yes, you'll have time to, to rest when you're dead or something. I don't know, something <laughs> crazy like that. Um, and, and again, like I mentioned, I'm a driven person. I'm a person who, when I want to do something I'm like, yes, I'm going to do it. And um, I, I still am a driven person. But now I think I would have to say to define a modern woman is a real woman, like an authentic be you woman who strives to be in competition with herself. I would say because we have been for so many decades and for so long, we're constantly in competition with everyone or everything around us. And when you turn around and look at yourself and realize the value of what you have, whether it's talent or your, your passion for something or your ability to, you know, listen to people or or whatever it is that you have, just be you because that you, I know it sounds so cheesy, but that you is beautiful. You know, that real you is beautiful and be in competition, but be in competition with yourself, make it, make it to where. Your, I want to be better is I want to be better than I was yesterday. You know, I want to do this better in my life. I want to make uh, my relationship with this specific person better or, you know, with my husband or with my wife or with my kids or whatever it may be. Because uh, when you stop being in competition with everybody else is when you can actually get things done. You can get shit done, like we say. Yeah, exactly. So you you may have already answered this question. So you can okay. always you can always pass on either of these next two. But I I did want to hold the space in case there was a piece that you wanted to dial dial up or or flesh out a little bit more. Okay. And the first is, what would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? What would I like to see? Let's see. I would have to say, and it's hard. This is hard because. <laughs> I never uh, said these questions would be easy, Lauren. Well, I know, but I like it. I like it. It makes you think. I like it. So I would have to say, um, I, I think a lot of times we, I, and I probably, along with the being real and being yourself and things, um, I think we put a lot of emphasis, and, and I realize this on a day-to-day basis because of my volunteer work, and where, and just frankly, where I live, I don't live in a first world country like the United States anymore. And I haven't lived there for about 12 years now. So I would say we often confuse want with need of things. And when I say that, I mean, in the sense of we put such a huge emphasis on material things, uh, the concept that success is based on the acquisition of things, um, or the fact that, um, you know, we just care, too, we care too much. We really, really care too much. We think that our success is defined by things a lot of times, you know? And in my case, particularly, I agree. I love the, trust me, when I walk into Costco, it's danger zone because I'm one of those, <laughs> look what I found here. I totally don't need it. But, and it's taken me, and, and funny enough, I grew up in a home where my mother is, she, I now see this later, my poor mother, if she's listening to this, I love you, but she is a compulsive buyer. And the other day she wrote me a message and she said, so I watched this show. I think it's called The Minimalist or something like that. Or it's oh, maybe it was documentary yeah, the documentary. Yeah, probably. And I've never seen it. But she was like, I watched this and I'm really thinking I need to get rid of some stuff. And I'm like, thank God, 20 something years later, she's just this. <laughs> but go her. Um, and I realized she and, and it was difficult for me even a relationship how I used to think that I need to give and give and give and give to make someone happy or I need to receive to make me happy when really none of that really fulfilled, you know, filled me and making me feel like 
it was what I needed to be happy and it wasn't, and it still isn't. And so I would say we, we just often confuse want with need for things, you know, and even in the sense of what we think we need for, you know, relationships with people or, or even in our jobs when what we think we need is really uh, just what we want and what we need to really be happy people. Just, we have to follow and listen to what our heart really wants. It sounds so cheesy, but I, I think I discovered that, you know, not too many years ago. And it's made me such a happier person to realize, Lauren, you know what, this is what you need. This is what's going to feed your soul to a certain extent. And if you don't tune into that, you're just going to fill it with a bunch of junk. Yes. A bunch of shit. You're just going to fill it with yes. a whole bunch you of shit. You will clutter so, it all up. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I wish they would give, you know, more, more of a shit about putting an emphasis more on the internal stuff. Like what feeds your soul? Not what feeds our eyes, basically. Got it. Got it. And what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? Oh, being good enough. Thinking that you're good enough. <laughs> like I said, I said that so many times. But no. It's... Stop acting like, stop trying to be someone, not necessarily someone that you're not, because maybe some of those components, as you're searching to find who you want to be or, or that you're good enough, some of those components really are you. But when you stop and say, nope, you know what? I got this. I can do this. We're so much, especially as women, you know, with all of the things surrounding us of, you know, I live in a country where it's easy. It's much more difficult as for a a woman to um, maybe not to find her place, but especially in the business world, it's a little bit more competitive in that sense. And even then in the States, believe it or not, but uh, stop racking your brain asking oh, but am I doing this well enough? Am I doing, you know, am I good enough for this? Just do it to the best of your ability and you're good enough. So, you know, give less of a shit about thinking about that, like over worrying about, man, am I good enough for my job or my boss or my, or whatever it may be, because your competition again is you most of the time be better than you were before, because believe it or not, one job or one thing can all be gone from to ask me, I would know from yesterday to today. Yes. And it could all change in an instant. And people say that to us all the time. And you, even especially as a young person, you think when you're in your 20s, like, I'm invincible. That's never going to happen <laughs> to me. And then just kidding. And I'm so honestly, now today, if you ask me, I wouldn't have said this probably a few years ago, but I'm glad it happened because I was, I've become more centered and been able to say, you know what? This is, this is me. And, and I'm good enough. And I'm good enough for it. So I, I hope women will stop worrying about what people think of us so much. And am I doing it right? Am I making the right impre- first impression? Am I, you know, forget it. Just be you. <laughs> so what I'm also hearing is remember to just be enough, but also losing the perseveration or the the anticipation or the, the overthinking of am I enough? Exactly. 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 Why? Because I think we put so much emphasis on that, that we can't be, we can't do the things that really make us happy. And it's true. I I don't think we can, whether it's your family life, whether it's maybe even in your job, like the, the, be passionate about what you really love to do. 
uh, we're so eaten by this fear of we're not going to, and again, like I said, it can be career-wise, it can be family-wise. God, how many times in a relationship have I thought, am I good enough? Is that other person next to me better? <laughs> do they, they like me? <laughs> do they like me enough? Exactly. Do they like me enough? Am I am I doing enough for them to like, I, I, th- I think my biggest unfortunate thing was, am I doing enough in a relationship for this person that I'm with to like me more than another person around me? And when I, and I have to be very honest with you, I mean, this is like, I learned this firmly a year ago, maybe a little bit more, I mean, not too long ago of saying, you know what, I am good enough. There's not going to be another me and I, I know what I'm doing (laughs) and just like I appreciate this other person who they are and with all of their flaws, that's the way I am as well. And, um, I, I think we just don't recognize that enough in ourselves. And we, we put emphasis on acting like, I don't know, acting like people around us are more, their, their opinions of us are much more important than, than our own opinions of ourselves. You know, we, we kind of downplay it a lot like, oh God, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Which I say <laughs> that on a daily basis, let's be honest. I do get up, like I could be up in front of, you know, translating in front of, you know, tens of hundreds of people and then be like, yes, okay. Oh my God, am I doing the right <laughs> what thing? What am I you doing know? here? Exactly. But I tried, I try, like I said, to finish it off on the basis of Lauren, you are good enough in your relationship, in your, uh, you know, your home life and your career, you determine if you're good enough. And that's, and sometimes, yes, God, we fail. We totally fail. And I will go to bed sometimes and I'm like, well, that wasn't a good day, you know, that wasn't a good thing. Or, but then the next thing I have to think is, okay, well, I'm going to try to do that better next time. Or it gives me a huge, like I said, repertoire of, of tons of things that I can say one time, you have no idea when this happened to me, you know, and, and we're built, we're, humans are made of pure experiences, you know, for me to have the amount of experiences that I've had at my age, I find it as a huge you know, blessing, because if I didn't, I wouldn't have so many crazy things to talk about and, you know, tell people my age, slow it down, be in competition with yourself, not with everyone else, you know, so it's it's constantly a learning process. Humans are made of pure experiences. I might have to like yes. hang that up on my desk or yes, after this is over, because it's, I agree. <laughs> it's such an amazing <laughs> statement. And if nothing else, it, you know, if the lessons are not fully realized, we're, we're at least fun at parties, right? Exactly. Oh, God, yes. Like when people say, just the question of where are you from? You're like, mm, do you want me to answer that the short way? Or do you want me to really tell or the you real way? Yeah. Yes. Because we might be here a while. <laughs> or now I could definitely go back and say, listen to podcast number. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then you'll get a little gist of me. Now but- you can just send people the link. <laughs> exactly. Well, it would be great promotion for the podcast. So all of you listeners out there, <laughs> I know some crazy stories, tune in. Yes, yes. But oh my I, I God. Think it makes it fun. <laughs> I, I think it makes our, our, like I said, because we're all experiences, I used to, as a, as a high schooler and, you know, in college and things, my biggest, des- one of my biggest desires personally for me was I want to belong. I want to be a part of this. I want to act like I'm not the weird kid who hasn't lived in, you know, one single country for the past five years or, or whatever, you know, or I want to be the kid who, you know, chose college this way instead of having to apply from being outside of the country. You know, I just didn't want to be the different one. And now, God, if I would have ended up I, I, this is going to sound terrible. Not, I don't mean end up like as in the people who were in my same, you know, social realm or whatever at the time, but social circles. But now I 
pride myself so much in that I am crazy different and I have so many stories and they're going to continue. And I hope to kind of hold on to that where it's never going to just be normal. I want it to be a little bit, you know, you don't look at it straight on. You look at it a little bit sideways. <laughs> you are making my heart explode because I, I think <laughs> I think just hearing what you described is something I've constantly wrestled in my own life like never fully fitting in like I you know I wasn't bullied or, or disliked or you know outcast in some way but I always like at any point that I could make a choice in life always seem to take the road less traveled and mm -hmm. I, I think you One know there were poems by the way <laughs> there we go we'll, we'll <laughs> link to it in the show notes but I think there's always been this sometimes like being okay making that decision, but then sometimes like after the fact thinking, why couldn't I have just taken like the same path as everyone else? Like why why did it always end up being this other path for me? How does mm -hmm. this keep happening? And it's something that, you know, I still to this day journal about or, you know, when people look at what I'm doing or or my business, one of the things that I hear with regular frequency is you just show up really different. And sometimes I don't know what that means exactly, like depending on the person who's saying it. And that's when you open your hands and say, I'm here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Announcement. Exactly. Well, funny that you say that too, like you show up different. I... And it's funny because in the past, I was very much, like I said, I grew up with a Southern mother who was like, this needs to be proper. This needs to be well done. Pictures need to be taken this way. God, when we take family pictures, it is exhausting to me and the rest of my siblings <laughs> because my mother wants it perfect. Because it's and all now staged we put up with and like. Yes, exactly. And she's like, oh, that's beautiful. Now move to the right. I'm like, oh my God. So we put up with it because she's our mother. But when I saw your, I think it was, I, I would assume your profile picture. Is it your profile picture? One of them where you've got like a leaf of like... A cabbage head? Yes. Cabbage the cabbage head. fascinator? Like, yes, but funny enough, I looked at that and I was like, this is going to be great. I can feel <laughs> this way. Like I, because for example, my personal style, I don't look as artsy. Well, let's just go into the normal. I don't even look like a lesbian. Let's just be honest. And people put that into stereotypical things and they're like, she doesn't look like a lesbian. And now I start thinking... You know, when I when I think of those comments and things and I'd be like, yeah, but just, you know, watch my point of view or what, you know, because you never can judge a book by its cover. But when I saw your profile, I was like, we are going to get along great. I could just feel it. because I was like, she looks awesome just from that picture. And and it's so out of the ordinary. It's not something you see every day. And when you look at my picture, obviously, it's like the professional side view, blah, blah, blah. And when I see that now, I look and I'm like. God, that's my mother speaking in my ear, saying, Lord, it needs to be here. Turn to the right, turn to the left, you know? And I don't, and that's, not, my style is not as artsy. I don't look artsy or I don't look lesbian or I don't look whatever people want to put you into a box to be. But And I'm enough, laughing I'm because I think people, like if when I'm in the South and my husband and I were <laughs> contemplating moving to Nashville at one point oh. and I had to wonder, I was like, I'm actually just going to look like a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> and then you like by southern standards wearing up. like all black jeans yes. and kind of kind of tomboyish <laughs> yes you would have just yes you would just have more stories to tell after that but it's it's so funny because again like I said I used to be the I want to belong for so long and I think every human wants to do that we have this fear of being vulnerable we just have a really big fear of being vulnerable in general and when we have to be vulnerable to others, it's like 
it's almost like an, I feel like it's like when I start seeing people who, who are like, I don't care. Those are my favorite people. People who do not give a fuck are my favorite people. <laughs> and whether it's artists, whether it's, you know, whoever at whatever age. And they're like, for example, I'll be honest with you. I can remember moments. My mother, you, you bring up the, sin, the, the uh, subject of Lady Gaga. It will never end. It's she's like, and it's so, she just looks so strange. And she, you know, <laughs> and she wears this. And when I look at her, I'm like. God, you know how many people want to be you and not because of what you're wearing. It's because you don't give a fuck. You are just you. You just go with it. And I think it's almost like this attractive, um, envious type of thing that we all kind of want to really just forget fitting in. I'm going to make my own group kind of a thing, you know, because the more experiences we have makes it makes us as humans so much more interesting and so much more intriguing. And those are the people who you want to talk to, you know, when you're at a party <laughs> and you want to be like, so tell me what you think about this. Those are the most fun people. Too funny. And Lauren, <laughs> before I totally let you slip away onto the rest of your day, what do you most want La Vital Court Salon listeners to know? Um, in life, in general, let's see. Your I choice. This say, is your chance to mic drop. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I have a headset on, so it's not going to look that nice if I mic drop, but we'll try. <laughs> um, I would say I would want the listeners to know, um, can I put two or three in here? <laughs> I'll give you uh, things to choose from listeners. Um, I would say one investing in people is so much more fulfilling than you can ever imagine. So if you have a chance, invest in people, invest in someone you may not even know, um, you know, volunteer work wise, social work, um, the person who's buying coffee in front of you or behind you or whatever, um, invest in people because I don't think you, I, I think you will never regret it. So invest in uh, making somebody happy, you know, just doing something unexpected kind of a thing. Um, and the second, I would say, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable in the sense that um, you, when you're vulnerable, we take down so many walls that are like stereotypes and other things that um, really everyone else is also built. And that idea of be good enough, being good enough or feeling like you're good enough. Um, it's just a lack of vulnerability. It's when you're, when you feel like you're not good enough, it's, Oh, because I have to look like this or I have to act a certain way or I have to be this or that. Um, and we don't let our real us, the real you come in, you know, like the Velveteen Rabbit says, just you become to be real as you become. It's a process. So I would say, um, Know that you're good enough and just be vulnerable to that and say, you know what, to listen to to yourself, listen to who you really want to be or who you really, uh, what really feeds your soul and things. For me, for example, is investing in people. That's something that fulfills me. Um, And then figuring out that I, you know, had to chase what I didn't even know was a dream until months later, but, um, you, you are good enough. You're good enough just as you are build, build your life off of the cool and amazing. And some people are like, oh, I don't have cool experiences like you. I'm like, everybody has a, everybody could write yes. a book and I would all of them. You know, everyone has a story of some type. And, and even in the sense of how we treat people and we invest in people, you never know the story. Everyone has a story and you never know the story that other people are, living, you know, or have gone through or, and so I think that that affects a lot of how I react to people. 
And not to be like, oh, I want to be your best friend and I want you to like me type of a thing or I want to impress you. Not that sense, but like the compassion, the empathy or the sympathy that we have for for other people um, comes from that same way. The only way that we can really connect is when we're also vulnerable and we kind of lower yourself to that level and say, you know what? I'm good enough. I can do this. And, you know, I, I'm just going to do it a different way than everybody else, you know, and everybody has a story. So, so we're, we're all made up of experiences and, and don't let your, your story just stop because you get frustrated with something, you know, let it go on because that's what makes you even, even cooler of a person, I guess you could say even more interesting of a person. Yes. Yes. Oh, Lauren, you've, <laughs> you've made my day. This com- I feel like I could do cartwheels after I unplug all, all these cords and wires from myself. <laughs> applause sound effect in the back. Whoa! No, but I think it's so true, Kara. Is it not true? You you get to a, a point, and I, like I said, I fortunately learned this at a young age, which I'm so glad that I did. But you, when we compare, we just destroy ourselves inside. And when you compare, whether it's like you say, you know, the task list and oh, I have to get it done. And yes, okay, we have to adult because let's just be real. We would, society would probably fall down very quickly if we didn't adult. But I think when you realize, let me just be me and take all of these really good things that I've learned in my journey, and I'm probably going to learn a lot more, um, put them all together and say, this is me this is good enough. I can do it. And, and share that with other people, you know, share, share that and recognize that with, with other people around you, be vulnerable enough to say, you know, you're good enough too. We don't, we have, that's why we're all different because if we were the same, how boring that, that would be No, It would be amazingly boring, amazingly <laughs> boring. And for me and my creative self, no, thank you. So, and Lauren, if women want to learn more about you or connect with you and your work, how can they best do that? Sure. Um, well, I threw, if they want to get to know more about the foundation, um, it's Rizos with a Z, R-I-Z-O-S, D-E, Amor y Alegría. Um, you can find us on Facebook. We've got a YouTube channel. We've got Twitter. We've got, um, what else, our regular um, webpage. So you can look for details. The webpage is actually in Spanish and in English. Um, so if you want to look for details on fundraising or, you know, just to know what the association is about in general, that's where you can find that information. And uh, for my business, it's Latin Language L or um, at Latin Language L for, for Twitter more than anything um, or the webpage latinlanguagelink.com. But for me, as a normal human being, and I love to connect <laughs> with people anyway, because again, like you mean an here, outstanding, <laughs> extraordinary human being. No. Like, if you're in this state, you're probably not going to want English classes, possibly French classes, but we do offer online, but I'm, we're probably not looking for that. But um, I love connecting with people. I love know, getting to know stories and, you know, and and just being able to learn, again, experience stuff with other people. I love biographies, autobiographies, people's crazy stories, people's even sad stories, you know, the things that make them who they are today. So, um, uh, for Twitter wise, hit me up at, um, at Lauren underscore E underscore Falk and, um, or 
you know, my personal email is Lauren Falk D, the letter D at AOL.com. Yes, it's an old school email. <laughs> I keep it so that people look at me and are like, that's so old. And I'm like, I know though, isn't it cool? So I still have the old AOL email, but um, yeah, totally hit me up with your stories or, you know, whatever uh, we can share, just connect. Like Karen, I met, you know, through a mutual yes. friend, friend on Facebook that Kat and I haven't seen each other in who knows how many years. So, um, yes, I love learning about people's stories and, and connecting with people. And, heck, if they want to come down and visit in Mexico City, awesome. We'll hook up here to, to, to talk through and have a cup of coffee or who knows. We might have to go to the, to the volcanoes or the beaches or something here. Be careful <laughs> what you time. offer. I'm the, I'm the girl that, like, yeah, well, and also, like, I'm that person who, like, I would never survive in LA when they're like, let's do lunch, but they don't really mean it. Like, I ended up in Moscow when a friend was like, do you want to go to Moscow, like, casually? And then I was like, well, no, I really do want to go to Moscow if you're going. I'd love to tag along. I've never been to Moscow and you before. you call them and you're like, I have the ticket, so what are you flying? <laughs> yes, yes. No, well, okay. So, so careful. Listeners, you, you, may, listeners, you may end up with one small Kara in Mexico City. Okay, that's fine. Well, Kara and all listeners are more than welcome to say, hey, I'm in Mexico City. Just let me know at least maybe two days before. That way I can organize. But I'm in the very heart of the city. And I would be more than happy to show you around and get you into the Spanish world here. And yes. Oh, and we also, that's true. We also offer Spanish classes online. So if that would be helpful to you, possibly, but I love hearing about people's stories and, and experiences and things. And Kara, you can come anytime you want. Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, so generous with your perspective, and honestly making me crack up at several points through this podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. For Literally, I'm just sitting here and talking, so it's, it's more you giving me the opportunity. Awesome. Well, take care of yourself. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. This is Kara again. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of today's show notes can be found at levitalcoursalon.com. So L-E-V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S-S-A-L-O-N.com. If you dug today's show or past episode, please support this podcast by going to iTunes and rating and reviewing. It's super helpful to a brand new podcast like me, and I'd be greatly appreciative for your help. And new shows, just so you know, will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. Before I bounce, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer, Craig Snyder, and Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing, and the High Dials for performing my most excellent theme song. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let burnout or bullshit slow you down. See you next time.